Edson, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today on Culture Corner, where I speak to leaders in tech about how they create strong cultures in high-performing teams. Brilliant to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. No problem at all. Obviously, we spoke a couple of times now, so I know a bit about your background and experience and, and what you've done previously. But for anybody listening that doesn't know you, if you could please just give me a bit of an overview of who you are, what you do, your history, team sizes, sure. okay. etc. So Edson Ferreira, um, I am the former Director of Engineering and Delivery for Experian. I've led the UK and I identity and fraud business for the past two and a half years. Uh, prior to that, I led the digital platforms for Lloyds Banking Group. Team size, I've led teams of roughly around 350 engineers across multiple locations. Fun fact is that although my job demands that I stick to the strategic side of the operations, um, I'm very much somebody that likes to lead from the front. So I, I still keep myself very technical. So I still call it on the weekends and I speak on a number of, of, of events on microservices, cloud architecture, and also on leadership. Perfect, perfect. I'm looking forward to this. So thank you very much again for, for joining me. Um, I know creating high-performing teams is your niche, if you like. It's what you're good at. I know you've spoken about it on a number, a number of occasions, and we're going to dive into that in detail today. Before we do that, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about culture. We know mm. that obviously creating a, a strong culture for a business gives them competitive advantage in the market, mm. especially in the tech sector where innovation's you know key and, and important. So, what do you think the fundamentals are of, of creating a, a, a strong culture? So let me start with a quote by Peter Drucker, one of my favorite um, leadership people that I really uh, enjoy reading. He says something like, there's only three things that happen naturally within organizations. That is friction, confusion, and underperformance. Everything else requires leadership. I would actually change that slightly to add at the end of it, the right kind of leadership, because not all leadership is conducive to high performance. Yeah. But if I look at it from the perspective of what Peter Drucker is trying to tell us, I think there's three primary things that fundamentally uh, create the right environment for high performance. And those would be, certainly in my experience, the right leadership. So where are we going essentially and, 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 and creating a vision that is compelling enough to motivate people to join you on that journey? And then essentially, why, why do we do what we do matters. Because without the why, people have a sense of emptiness or a sense of we don't really know how the work is making a difference. Yeah. Uh, and last but certainly not least, and perhaps the most important one, is how do we create an, an environment where employee well-being is at the top of our priorities? And this might be spinning the concept around, but fundamentally, we as leaders, we're not the ones that are going to be in contact with our clients. We're not the ones that are going to be uh, uh, making sure that our clients are, are, are well served. So from that perspective, our jobs as leaders is to make sure that our teams have an environment where they can thrive, where they can be the type of employees that we need them to be when serving our clients. So if I take care of my employees and I make sure that they have uh, everything that they need to be successful, in turn, the result will be they will also do that for my, for my clients, my customers. So I think those are the three things that I would say uh, are, the, are the foundation of a solid culture for high performance. Perfect. Thank you very much. And I think that the why is so important, isn't it? People mm. have got to know 
you know, what the journey, you've got to believe in the journey, haven't you? Understand the journey, why, why they're doing this and what, why they're on that journey. Mm. I think when you talk about building high performing teams, do you wash that down into the team? So you, you create the structure of the team and you're telling people, right, okay, this is, this is the, this is the purpose, this is the vision for this project or team or what we're going to deliver, this is going to be the, the impact of, of mm. what we're delivering. Uh, how do you go about constructing your high-performing teams? Yeah, so typically when, when you have an organization that already has those things in place, it's very important that you join the organization with a mind of, I'm here to uh, contribute, yeah. not necessarily to reinvent the organization, but nonetheless, it's important that uh, each and every team knows why they do what they do, how, how does it impact the overall organization and its success, and fundamentally, uh, are, are the people uh, that are doing the work, are they in the right places? Are they right. trained to be, um, to be the best at what they can do and ultimately bring the best out of people through making sure that we have the right people on the right seats on the bus, to quote uh, Brian Tracy. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. And I think by bringing people, bringing people in, I know I've, I've read a few times, psychological safety mm. seems to be very key um, to to creating high performing teams, having that sense of, of belonging, mm. um, have, you know, being allowed to have a voice, building that trust. How do you um, how do you build that trust as a leader? Um, how do you allow your teams to have that sense sense of belonging? So one of the things that um, that has uh, impacted my leadership um, has been a book from Dar David Markey, uh, Turning the Boat Around. Right. And essentially, I apply the same principle that David speaks on the book, which is, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to tell you where we're going. And then I allow everyone in my team to bring their brains to the equation. Rather than being 140 uh, sailors on a submarine uh, that are following commands. He basically says that um, he realized very, very quickly because he wasn't the person that actually knew the submarine the best that they were going probably to die right. if he was the person that needed to, to make all decisions. So he basically transformed the worst performing submarine crew to the best performing submarine crew simply by changing the way that he led the that team. He tells you the in the book that um, he once provided an order to second-in-command ahead two-thirds and the person that uh, needed to repeat the order, repeat the order without even questioning. Now the problem was the submarine didn't have that particular feature and the person that was supposed to dial the dial in order to get to ahead two-thirds, they basically shriveled under the seat and he realized very quickly that what he had commanded wasn't being executed. And he asked, why are we not implementing what I've just requested? And the response was, well, there is no setting for two-thirds in this particular submarine. And he asked the second-in-command, well, did you know that? And he said, yes. Uh, and why did you repeat it? Why did you not challenge it? Um, and obviously, the answer was like, well, because you're the one in charge here. And again, he realized very quickly that they were in dire danger if he was the only one bringing his brain to the to the equation. Um, and I and I do exactly the same thing with my teams. I'm not interested in being the person that does the thinking. I'm interested in being the person that 
is able to look at the bigger picture, look at how dots connect, and then bring my team and make them the ones that are able to um, grab my intent and op operationalize or create the operational plan to actually execute w what my intent is. That has a number of benefits, namely the fact that the team now feels part of the decision-making process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they feel heard. Yeah. I'm there to obviously think critically and challenge their, their presuppositions and make sure that, that within the guardrails they have the freedom and the liberty to, um, to do what is required. But however, it's really important that I do not uh, 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 remove their brain from the, from, the, from the work that we need to do. It's really, really crucial. That they feel empowered to think. They have the autonomy, don't they? Um, they have the autonomy, but they're given they're given the voice as well, which all comes to pull together for the for the feeling psycho psychologically safe. I think you referenced in the submarine there about the second in command. Mm -hmm. That was obviously a fear based organisation, wasn't yeah. it? I think in a high performing teams, you're breaking down, mm. um, you're breaking down the barriers, and you're getting rid of that that, that fear complex. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But this is, but this is easier easierly said than done uh, because again I think my experience tells me that organizations frightful of losing control and creating an environment where essentially they are there to steer the ship but not necessarily to say how operations is going to take the ship forward um, and I've seen that this type of leadership is particularly conducive to create an environment where people just feel great about themselves and once you have an environment where people are absolutely joyful to work for you, it becomes almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. People will be high performers naturally. Yeah, very good. And do you, one of the key things is the relationship building. Do you do anything in particular when you when you join the teams to, or, or you integrating new people into the teams to making sure you, you, you're breaking down the barriers? Because you can't have a high-performing team where it's just transactional with the individuals, Absolutely. can you? It, it needs you need to understand them um, on a personal level and yeah. a, and a work work level. Yeah. So two things. The first one is, um, I'm very open and candid about my leadership style, and I will make sure that certainly my direct reports not only align but get the relevant training in order to be a servant leader, which is what I consider myself to be. Essentially, this creates alignment. This creates a sense of um, we know exactly how we as a team are going to be operating, what are the guidelines for leadership within the team. And then the second thing is I use the four disciplines of execution. And essentially the four disciplines of execution, all they all they try to portray is how can, how can you orchestrate your teams so that they win. And it's uh, based on four uh, core tenets. Um, the first one is the definition of a wildly important goal. You're not necessarily saying that everything else doesn't matter. You still need to do the day-to-day -day operations to make sure that the business is afloat. But there's a narrow focus on a wildly important goal that fundamentally makes sure that people are always working on what's more important. Let me give you an example. If I was an air controller operator, I've got multiple planes on the sky, but there's only one plane that's the most important. That's the one that I need to land. The moment that I land that one, another one comes along, and that becomes my most important plane to learn. And within the meantime, I just have to keep the other ones safe and uh, in the air whilst I continue to do what is required for me to do. So that's the first discipline. And then the second one is 
uh, essentially being able uh, to define a, um, a, a, a lead measure that you can influence in terms of your goal. So when you have a highly important goal, when you have a, uh, something that it's really crucial for you to achieve, typically we will measure things like lag measures. So things that, I don't know, again, coming back to a simple example, if you want to, um, to sell more, um, you would structure your wildly important goal in the shape of, I want to increase my sales from a million to a million and a half by X. And that gives you clarity in terms of what you want to achieve and by when. Yeah. Now, the next thing is, is defining what is the measures that you're going to be uh, monitoring in order to guarantee uh, that along the way you're able to influence the result, the wildly important goal success. And, and it's important to distinguish between lead measures and lag measures by, by the way that if you focus on, on, the, on the lag measures, meaning how much sales have I made this month? Yeah. You're already too late in order to make anything uh, that can actually influence yeah. um, that uh, that success. So focusing on the lead measures, and, and in this particular example, this would be the number of calls that you're making, the number of follow-ups that you're doing on a daily basis. All those things are things that you can influence to affect those lag measures. So it's important to identify the lag measures that you want to measure, but equally, what are the, the, the lead measures that, that ultimately together will make sure that the lag measure continues to go in the right direction? Then the third discipline is essentially how you create a scoreboard where the teams are able to visualize where they are in regards to the objective. And we keep that scoreboard uh, part of the fourth discipline, which is accountability. So me and my teams get together very, very frequently. This might be in the form of a weekly meeting or in, in the cases of, of the teams, then their stand-ups, etc. But it's important to keep the team accountable. Yeah. So each, each team member, when they come to this meeting, they come with the prospect of telling the team uh, what is their wildly important goal and what are they doing about it. This not only creates accountability, but it's a really powerful motivator. Because if yeah. you look, it's your reputation that it's on the line. Yeah. The team uh, uh, self-regulates itself from the perspective that everybody is held accountable to contributing to the overall wildly important goal. So these are the two things that I that I do when I arrive at an organization to ensure that we are able to be set up for success. Perfect. Perfect. And how? How important is structure in in the team? Structure and clarity around individuals' goals, individuals' responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know where 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 you're going. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely crucial. Without a vision, people perish. Without a vision, you're not able to uh, say exactly where you're going. What the only result is guaranteed is that you will, you will arrive nowhere. Yeah. So it's really important to be clear on on where we're going. So that's one of the crucial things that as a leader, you need to be able to see how each individual team or up to, to a person, how do they play a role in the success of the team? So again, it's, 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 it's distilling what are the business objectives in the form of, I don't know, OKRs or sometimes wildly important goals if you use the 4DX methodology 
but it's how you break that down so that people know exactly how they're going to be contributing for the success of the team. Yeah, and what what their what their contribution, what the impact impact is of their contribution absolutely. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then along the way, one of the things that I really really enjoy is instead of me looking for the errors and the mistakes, I will look for the things that actually reinforce the core values that that I uphold. Yeah. So when it comes to creating a culture, you need to have a, a group of values that everybody can understand. Amazon does this with the 12 principles of leadership. Yeah. Uh, and other organizations have their, 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 their guardrails, their guidelines for how they're going to be executing. Those are extremely important and they provide the team with a, a, a sense of, a sense of what is the way that we do things here. Yeah. Um, so it's absolutely crucial to have not only the, a clear definition in terms of goals, but also have a really important um, buy-in from the team in terms of how we operate um, in terms of culture as well. And would you look to build, just picking up on the values uh, aspect, would you look to build your teams with um, complementary values, aligning values? There's going to be... There's, there's an element that is cross-cutting, but then I, I also encourage teams to do their own soul-searching, do their own yeah. charter of, of, of how we operate. Because again, I'm, I'm not interested in, in dictating these things, but there's a common denominator across all teams that, for example, integrity. That's one of the things yeah. that I'm absolutely, um, it's, it's a non-negotiable for me. The way that we do what we do needs to be based on integrity, needs to be based on trust, needs to be based on truth. And from that perspective, um, anyone that follows, that falls out of line with that, essentially it's not the right fit for the team because they're going to disrupt the, tr the kind of culture that I'm, uh, that I'm trying to create. Yeah. Um, I'll give you another example. So a pilot from Southwest, he was on his way to be interviewed at Southwest but um, surprisingly, he didn't really treat the person at the reception very, very well. Uh -huh. Now, the person at the reception, when they phone in for the person that was about to interview this person, they said, I don't know why this individual is here, but let me tell you how he treated me. Yeah. And that person wasn't even interviewed. So from that perspective, Southwest yeah. would rather hire for character yeah. than hire somebody that might be a brilliant pilot, but it's going to disrupt a team that is operating under the core uh, value of respect and under the core value of a servant heart. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I try to do to make sure that when I hire, my core values are kind of like my checklist. Yeah. And first and foremost, I want to make sure that you align from a character perspective with the values that we uphold in order to make sure that when you join, that's not going to be an issue. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose follow, following that theme, when you've got your your, your high performing team, or you, you you've gone through, you talked to me. I'm sure you'll pick up on it later. You talked to me in the past about um, Tuckman Jensen. Was it the um, forming, storming, yeah, norming and performing? That's right. And yeah, you yeah. talked to me about that about that process. And you've got a high performing team. I suppose it's it's very difficult to bring other people into that, isn't it? Mm. You, you're hiring. Your hiring is crucial for that because yeah. it can disrupt it. So. When when you look to hire, how do you how do you look to hire the right people? Do you do you hire with regards to to, to behaviours, um, sort of looking for people with growth mindsets? Mm. 
Um, how do we ensure diversity? Because we, we know that that's key in, yeah. in, in high performing teams, whether that's backgrounds, whether that's from opinions, you know. Yeah. How, how, do, you, how do you follow? So, that? essentially, I, I look for three things, and one of them is negotiable. I will look at your ability to think. Are you a smart person? Uh, are you somebody that ultimately has a growth mindset and that is not afraid of learning? Uh, and the other thing that is also non-negotiable is I use somebody that aligns from a character perspective with the values that we uphold. Those two things are non-negotiable. Right. Skills, if you don't have the skills but you have the other two, I'm more than happy to bring you aboard because skills are teachable and ultimately I would rather have somebody that is uh, less skilled but aligns with the other two than to hire somebody that is very good in terms of skills but then lacks on one of the, the other two. So those are my two non-negotiables that I'll, uh, that I'll uphold on every interview. Right, okay. They stood you in good stead for now. Up to now, they haven't let me down. And, and I think ultimately, uh, anyone that is impressed by skills alone is almost like playing Russian roulette in terms of its culture. Yeah. They're not being strategic in terms of who they hire because if they were, they would make sure that they're not disrupting a team that is already aligned with your core values. Um, so I think that's that's really really crucial. Yeah, I think one of the things that you've got to be careful of as well. I think obviously in the past you hear a lot of instances where people are hired like, okay, has Adrian got the right skills? Yeah, he's got the right skills. Tick box. Mm. Does he fit with our culture? Is he a good cultural fit? Mm. Oh yeah, he is tick box. But you, you're creating a bias there, aren't you? Mm. you just you, you're essentially hiring in your got the skills, but you're hiring in your own, yeah. your own model, and then yeah. you're not going to get that diversity of thought. You're not going to get people who you just don't, you're going to end up with a lot of same Adrian's in the team and you're never mm. going to get from where you are to where you want to be. Absolutely. And, and one of the things, just to add to your point, one of the things that I see very, very often in organizations is the person that does an excellent job as an operational typically, typically is the one that gets promoted to a strategic yeah. level. So they are the ones that are now in control or are now in a position of authority over people. And if, if the, if the person doesn't have the right character, the person looks at leadership as I'm in authority rather than being uh, the person that now needs to serve those people and ensure their success, ensure that they win. This is absolute disaster because you're bringing somebody that has very little uh, leadership quality, uh, that was a very good operational uh, member of the team into a position where you need a completely different set of skill sets yeah. to be successful. So it's important not only to hire the right fit, but also promote the people that have the right mindset when it comes to leadership. I think the world is full of self-serving leaders and ultimately we've seen what that means when it comes to attrition rates, the number of people that join organizations leave, join organizations leave, because ultimately they're not leaving the organization. They're leaving the boss or the leader that, um, that didn't do the right things when it yeah. came to development, supporting, and, and it's very, it's a very easy cop-out to basically just hire and fire and yeah. just find somebody else. Yeah. Um, whilst I advocate a completely different uh, stance in terms of leadership, which is how can I make sure that my team has an environment where they can be successful and I am here to help them win? Yeah. Ultimately, this is something that I've seen, if it's not done across the organization, you feel like a lonely boat in the in the huge sea yeah. because everybody else is almost like going in the 
opposite direction of you. But an organization like, for example, Southwest or WD40, where it's 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 part of their 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 core values, a servant heart. It's part of their core values, and they hire based on that for leadership. It's absolutely crucial in order for for the organization to remain um, successful, to be able to 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 bring in people that are prepared to serve rather than to be served. I'll give you another example. At um, at WD40, when a member of staff is underperforming and the manager uh, reaches HR with a, with Hey, I need help. Yeah. The first question that HR will ask is, well, what did you do to help them? And if the answer is not satisfactory, it becomes a very different conversation because <laughs> you have failed at your job. Yeah. You failed to support one of our most precious assets, which is our employees. So from that perspective, the owner, the ownership and the responsibility of you having people that you take care of under you in, in you as a leader, it's a huge responsibility. And it's one that, unless you are prepared to be somebody that uh, is not self-serving and ultimately is not interested in in the authority that your position gives, but on the other hand is interested in the success of your team, you would never work for me, because I don't think that it, that that's the right level of leadership. And actually, I don't call that leadership. I call that I don't know authority. I call that uh, management, but certainly not lead. Certainly not leadership. Yeah. No, WD40 have got it. Is they're ahead of the game, aren't they? Mm. In, in that aspect, there's not many organisations that, that that have the capacity to to, to think and operate yeah. like that. If you do focus on your people, and like you said, there you like to take your you, your people through through a journey. How mm. can I help you? Where do you want to go? Yeah. How can I help you achieve that? You know, what yeah. learnings and developments can you can I give you, or can you get along the way? Absolutely. Um, I know in the past there's been a there's been a fear. You know, you hear the bad stories. There's a fear of developing people, and then they'll leave. But you know, if somebody leaves, that's no bad thing, is it? They're just going on another journey, and mm. you've given them the tools, and then you know they've hit a ceiling, and they're moving yeah. on to, to to find the next stage. Yeah, absolutely. And again, one of my one of my personal heroes of of leadership is um, is Jim Goodnight, the CEO of um, SAS. He says that every night. He, 90% or 95% of his most valuable assets leave and go home. His job is to make sure that they come back to, the next day. But Jim doesn't say this like as, as, it's just a cliche phrase to hire people. He actually puts his money where his mouth. What Jim does, he, on campuses, he puts things like medical uh, facilities. He puts things like uh, cafeteria, things like um, nurseries. So essentially, the campus has everything that you need in order not to worry about anything else apart from satisfying his clients. And his, and his mission as the CEO of the company, again, to his words, is to make sure that they return the next day. Now, if you're worried about investing this amount of money into your people and giving them gyms and cafeterias where they can go pick up their kids from from nursery, have lunch with them, That's bring them yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. If they even have a department that is a, a heron's department. So if you need to go into town and do something, this department has people that are allocated to you. And you can go there and say, <laughs> I need to run an errand. Here's the, here's the paperwork. Off you go. <laughs> what is Jim trying to do here? He's basically trying to make sure that the last thing 
on their mind is anything else uh, apart from satisfying his clients. Because he takes care of his people so well, number one, people don't tend to leave, even if you offer them more money, because no other company will provide them with this level of benefits and, and, and treat them so well, like SAS does. But equally, he, he also makes sure that these people are extremely thankful for the way that they're treated, and they will then reward yeah. Jim by making sure that their clients are treated the best way possible. So it's, um, it's, it comes back to a mindset, and you can have two mindsets here. One is a mindset of scarcity, where there's little to go around, and I'll make sure that you will get only what you require to stay in your job without complaining, versus I will treat you the best that I can, and my purpose is not necessarily to diminish my profits. I don't want to give my profits away. I don't want to reduce my revenue by just spending money without without the need for it. But I see that as the biggest investment that any leader can make is in the team. And it will pay off in the end because not only you will have less attrition, but you will have a team that is loyal, a team that is highly motivated. And guess what? A team that will become, if it's not already, will become highly performant for them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And do you think there's, um, do you think there's a narrative that's changed a little bit from looking after the, the, the individual members of your team um, to actually looking after their wider network as well, you know, almost their family, taking an interest in their, in their family, mm -hmm. and, you know, if they've got children, just look, making sure that everybody feels feels settled and part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, that's exactly what Jim Goodnight does with SAS. If you look at it, he, he allows people to put their kids within the campus nursery. Why is that? Because he wants to make sure that those kids are treated like, as as one of the employees of the company that's 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 absolutely crucial if you want to make sure that somebody's happy that you take interest not only in them as a professional but fundamentally them as a human being perfect you mentioned um touched on leadership leadership style there you're saying servant leader mm. um obviously there's various varying different types of, of, of leadership is that servant leader is that the main one um do you believe that, that um, results in high-performing teams, or they, or they a number that you could flip with styles mm. that you could flip between, or ones that you don't want to go anywhere near. Yeah. So let me start by the ones that I don't want to get near. Them. Okay. <laughs> so the first would be the autocratic leadership style, yeah. in which I'm basically commanding you what to do. This was very suitable for the industrial revolution, and uh, and it, and it paid dividends when you basically had factory workers. But we're dealing with people that are highly creative. We're dealing with people that are bringing their brains into our um, our companies. And for that, autocratic leadership is probably one of the most detrimental leadership styles. People will most likely leave very, very quickly if all they do is follow orders and they're not able to bring yeah. their brain into, uh, into, into the day-to-day -day operation of the company. Um, the second one is transactional leadership. Again, it's a leadership style that... Um, provides a couple of benefits because you have people uh, with transactional leadership that get the benefit of being the high performers and therefore they are rewarded while whilst everybody else that doesn't uh, achieve that same level doesn't get that that level of reward what this creates is essentially the inner crowd and the outer crowd yeah, yeah. now the outer crowd will, will very very quickly once again realize that they're on the losing side of this leadership style <laughs> yeah. 
And again, you won't be able to retain people as you would with other leadership styles. And then the third one is essentially the laissez-faire leadership style in which you don't say what people need to do. You literally just rock into the office, <laughs> uh, grab a coffee, pet a couple of people in the back, and yeah. you go home again. Again, a leader is supposed to be a leader. It's supposed to be somebody that is there on the trenches with the people and making sure that the people is 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 uh, equipped with everything that they need in order to be successful, providing direction, vision, providing support. So these are the three leadership styles that I would stay away from. Now, the three ones that I genuinely believe are the most conducive yeah. are going to be servant leadership, transformational leadership, and situational leadership. I'll, I'll expand on the three if yeah, you want yes, me, but um, so when it comes to servant leadership, um, it's almost like flipping the pyramid upside down. Uh, actually, instead of using the analogy of a pyramid to describe servant leadership, I'll use the analogy of a tree. Okay. Because essentially management, the CEO, the COO, the CTO, they are the roots of the tree. Uh, yeah, yeah. They are hidden mm-hmm. underneath the earth and their, and their role is to bring the nutrients to the tree. And then you have the middle management that essentially is the main, is the main uh, uh, trunk of the tree. And then you have the branches, which are the people that are actually bearing the fruit. Those are the ones that you are serving. So the structure, instead of being um, entry-level operations and then strategy, yeah, and then you've got that CEO position as the, as the one that sits on the ivory tower, and everybody serves that, that, that top uh, uh, p- part of the, of the pyramid, you change that, that philosophy and you adopt philosophy like I said of a tree yeah. where the branches are the ones that we as a leaders need to pay attention and need to provide everything that is needed for the fruit to appear Perfect. Uh, then the other leadership style that I'm particularly keen on is the transformational leadership uh-huh. and so the transformational leadership style it it puts uh, for focus on four things which is idealized influence inspirational motivation, individual consideration, and intellectual stimulation. Now, those things in and of itself, they sound really complicated, but they're not. Idealized influence is nothing else but, uh, as a leader, you walk the walk. Ah, When it comes to somebody having the credibility before its teams, where they say that, for example, having a growth mindset is important and getting upskilled is also important, but you yourself do nothing, your credibility or the impact that you're going to have is guaranteed it's going to be very, very minimal. So I'll give you an example. At Lloyd's Banking Group, I told my engineers that I wanted them to get certified on GCP. We had just closed a huge deal with with Google. GCP was our uh, cloud platform of choice. And now... Uh, I have a bunch of engineers telling me, oh, it's too difficult. Oh, it takes too long. Oh, it's really hard. Oh, I'm going to have to spend my weekend studying. I said, fine. I hear all those excuses, yeah. which which is exactly what these excuses are. Yeah. So I took upon myself to show them that it was possible. Right. So I got the, the, the Google uh, Professional Architect certification ah, nice. it nice. was really hard I, I must admit <laughs> but then again once I had the certification in my hand it was much easier to convince my team that it's possible so 
a transformational leader walks the walk. Then the other part is, well, what is the inspirational motivation is the part where you are providing the team with clear vision, clear goals, and the ability for the team to understand why what they do actually matters for, for the overall success of the company, as well as individual consideration in which you look at a team not as a group of people, but as individuals. And each individual has a, a personal development path. They have aspirations, they have goals. And as long as you take each individual as an individual, you are going to get much more from your team because people will feel heard, people will feel that they actually matter for the organization. And then the last one is intellectual stimulation, which essentially means what are you doing to grow your team's ability to innovate? How are you challenging your teams to think outside the box? Are you giving your teams problems that are really difficult to solve? Or are you giving them things that ultimately won't make their lives very exciting? I think as a transformational leader, if you focus on these four things, it's guaranteed that you, you will be far better positioned to be successful as a leader than just adopting a leadership style that uh, doesn't include any of all, all of these uh, considerations. And then the last one is situational leadership. Essentially what situational leadership tells us is, in order for you to be a good leader, you need to pivot. And you need to pivot with regards to the level of uh, your, your, your style of leadership needs to change yeah. depending on the level of motivation uh, as well as the level of skill set that a particular individual has. What does this mean? Ultimately, what this means is that when you have somebody that is very junior, your role as a leader is to provide them with clear direction. You're there to say, go do ABC. When you're done, come back. That person, that junior member of the team, now feels supported because, again, they are they're being told what to do. Yeah. But nonetheless, they that's the right leadership style for somebody that's just joined or doesn't have the skill set or the motivation to accomplish the task. Equally, for somebody that is already very senior, somebody that is somebody that is bringing uh, their brains and their thought leadership into the job, your role is not to tell them what to do because if you try to adopt that leadership style with that person, yeah. that's not only called micromanagement, but you will very, very quickly <laughs> demotivate that individual. Um, so the right approach there is to when a highly skilled individual, somebody that is highly competent and highly motivated to do a task, your role as a leader is to provide support. How do you do that? Well, you do that by asking the right questions, by thinking critically with the individual. When they come with a problem, your job is to make sure that you challenge the individual about the different scenarios being presented, compare the options, and ultimately reach a conclusion that he proposed. And yeah, your job yeah, is yeah. not to tell them the solution. Yeah. <clears throat> You're there to help him navigate the problem, thinking through the problem, and ultimately allow him to reach the solution. So situational leadership tells you that you should pivot your leadership style based on where a person is on, on their journey and ultimately make sure that you're not applying just a, a blank check when it comes to leader, uh, when it comes to being a leader and when it comes to um, making sure that your team has the right level of support from you. So that's almost like coaching somebody as opposed to giving them a clear direction. Absolutely, yeah. And both of those leadership styles are absolutely crucial to support your team effectively. Yeah. As long as you 
uh, position people within the quadrant of motivation and skill set, you will have different Mm -hmm. amounts of directive behavior versus supportive behavior. And this is where situational leadership, I think, shines because uh, it provides a framework for you to understand where people sit and then how you pivot to a different leadership style that actually is the best, that actually is the most conducive to helping them win. And that's the most important thing. So in summary, when you look at these three leadership styles, servant leadership, transformational leadership, coupled with situational leadership, I have found that this is the formula of success for creating a culture of high performance where the teams are highly motivated, they feel great about themselves, they feel heard, and ultimately they can bring their brains and be the best that they can be at their jobs that they can be. Perfect. Thank you very much for that, Edson. One thing that I did want to ask you, as you're forming teams, Mm. inevitably, you've mentioned this to me in the past, inevitably you're going to get to the the storming stage. So the... um, the stage of, what is it, conflict, the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for, come to the conflict stage. How do you deal with that conflict without without it getting out of control? Yeah. How do you manage that to move it on then to the norming yeah. stage? So that's a great question. The Bruce Tuckman's model of team development basically tells us that there are five stages when it comes to, uh, to team development. In the beginning, when the team is being set up, that's the forming stage and people are getting to know each other and kind of like rubbing shoulders and, and understanding how the team uh, is actually set up, but very, very quickly you will descend into the storming stage in which uh, your your team is now essentially in conflict area. Yeah. This is absolutely crucial that as, as, a, as a leader, you not only are able to communicate which stage the team is, but also help them navigate right. through that um, through that particular stage into the next one, which is the norming and ultimately the performing. Uh, There's a fifth stage, which is a journey, but we won't touch on that. But as a leader, it's absolutely crucial that on the storming stage, you define process, you define accountability, you define the things that make ambiguity disappear, because ultimately conflict comes from uncertainty or ambiguity. So it's crucial that you as a leader define everything that is need that is needed in order for the team to be successful. Once once the team understands that they are in a stage that conflict is expected and they understand the things that are required for for the team to now navigate out of the storming phase, they will they will embrace that phase and very quickly you're you're able to navigate the team out of the storming stage into the norming. Okay. Perfect. And is it is it true that sometimes teams will get stuck in that storming stage and can't get out Absolutely. of it? And, and that's that's due to poor leadership, is it? Absolutely, right. yeah. Um, when it comes to navigating uh, the Tuckerman's model of, of team development, your role is to make sure that the team reaches the high-performing stage. Failing to do the right things at each one of the stages uh, again, I will provide the the presentation that covers a lot of the information that we've covered here. Yeah, yeah. You're going to see that um, it's it's upon the leader to help the team navigate those those different stages. So it's absolutely crucial that somebody that comes to a leadership position one knows what they're doing and knows how to navigate the team through those different stages. Perfect, perfect. With collaboration being so key in high performing teams now. 
with with the I know some t- some businesses work in hybrid before COVID, COVID flipped everything upside mm. down, and we have the hybrid or fully remote world now. How do you um, how do you ensure collaboration across your teams, especially with the hybrid model now? How do you make sure that that, that it that it works? Because obviously you're going to need that specifically within the tech sector for the mm. for innovation and solving your I suppose internal and external stakeholder yeah. requirements. So I think collaboration is a fruit of everything that we discussed today. If you, if you create an environment where people have everything they need to be successful and an environment where people feel great about themselves, naturally people will be open to collaboration because right, again, okay. there's not a spirit of competition within the team. There's not a, a mindset of scarcity within the team. There's a mindset of abundance. There's a mindset of we are here to win collectively. So I think it becomes a fruit rather than necessarily something that you actively, uh, pursue on its own okay and then that would mean that there is no relevance to, to hybrid or in the office it would just happen naturally absolutely <laughs> i think um, these days i'm not particularly dogmatic where people work from but it is important as well to create relationships so although i'm supportive of people working from home um, the majority of of the week it's important also to create relationships that ultimately help people that for example, junior people that have just joined the team, they're going to be feel isolated. They did not build those relationships. Yeah, yeah. And the way that you build those relationships is, and I'm Portuguese, hence why I use this phrase, is by eating salt. Yeah. What yeah. do I mean by eating salt? You're, you sit on the table and you just sit and yeah. you eat and you yeah. talk and you get to know each other. And ultimately, that's really crucial when it comes to creating a team that it's gelled together and that trusts each other. Yeah. Trust is very difficult to create uh, it over uh, a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting. Uh, it's very difficult to create that because ultimately you don't have that personal uh, touch to it. But my teams, at least, they will come to the office um, once every uh, two weeks by the end of the sprint in which we have a full day. And the purpose of that full day is to go through a number of ceremonies, agile ceremonies, demos, and Etc. Retros, but also afterwards, a social gathering where we can eat together, where we can go out and we can celebrate the success that we've just achieved. And that's a really important aspect of building trust: is celebrating success, reinforcing the behaviors that you want to make sure that the team continues to um, to uphold and to do. So, fully hybrid, uh, fully remote working doesn't allow really for that. A hybrid approach also provides a safe space for you to have uh, all of those things. But again, it's uh, it's a matter of finding the right balance depending on the team size and also depending on the team location. Because yeah. if you've got people across multiple geographical locations, it's yeah. not necessarily <coughs> practical to fly people from uh, near shore or even offshore every two weeks to uh, yeah. to yeah. Uh, to create this environment. So you need to be strategic in terms of where you hire so that you can actually guarantee that people are able to get together. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the things you hit on there was key about you bringing your team together for a specific reason. Mm. You know, you hear a lot of ho- horror stories, don't you, where it's mandated, right? You need to be in the office two days a week, three days a week, yeah. and you've got people sat next to each other just on Zoom calls mm. to somebody in a, in a different location. Yeah. I think that's where people get frustrated, isn't it? Coming in to just for the sake of, mm. of showing up where you're saying, bringing people in for a, a, a specific reason yeah. and then we're going to go on a, a 
after that. Absolutely. And it comes back to the fourth point of the four disciplines of execution, which is accountability. When you get together, typically the purpose is, well, let's talk about what did we do well. Let's talk about where did we not do so well and what are we doing about it? Because that, 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 that day in the office provides an opportunity for people not only to showcase the great work, but also to identify either performance issues or issues that need to be addressed. And those need to be addressed very, very quickly because you do not want those things to, uh, to fester in the team without you doing the right things to, to correct them. Exactly, exactly. And you touched on celebrating successes being really important there as well. As I've, I've read a few things recently about um, rewards. Yes. So whether they're formal or informal, like how important is it is, you know, hitting on those successes and in, in, in mentioning reward and rewarding people? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there are studies made where uh, football coaches that uh, were training uh, the goalkeepers um, this particular coach, instead of criticizing the goalkeepers that weren't doing a very good job at a particular exercise, he would praise the ones that were doing a good job. What he did was he created a little bit of envy or jealousy in those that weren't doing a very good job. And ultimately, very quickly, that was enough of a motivation for their performance to, to change. Uh, yeah, yeah. So equally within <coughs> engineering teams or any team for that matter, Instead of you focusing on the negative, instead of you walking around with a stick uh, trying to prevent people from making mistakes, let people make mistakes, let people learn from them. Uh, but then again, your focus and your, your job as a leader is to reinforce the behaviors that you do want. Hence why celebrating success allows you to create an environment where people realize that um, that gets rewarded. I want that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned that um, failures, mm. or, and it's, there's a lot of people don't do this, isn't there? But they talk about in high-performing teams t uh, creating an environment where it's okay for people to fail, and we don't mean repetition doing the same thing, but having an environment where you know people can get it wrong. They're not they're not scrutinised and victimised for getting it wrong, and you learn and you, and you can and you develop and go again. Yeah, yeah. So again, it comes back to the. To, to these four tenets of, of the of the 4DX. If you have clear goals, if you have clear definition of lead and lag measures, if you have a scorecard, and if you have accountability, those things naturally come about, meaning the failure rate becomes very, very little because people aren't doing random things. What they're doing is exactly what you need them to do, but within that process, there's going to be an opportunity or certainly a chance for failure. But nonetheless, the objective remains the same, and it's then how the team is able to support that failure, learn from it, and very, very quickly move on. Those lessons are far more valuable than, than anything else that the team might bring in terms of new members with new skills that ultimately th th this might not be the most cost-effective uh, option. Nine out of ten. It's better to give somebody that doesn't have the skill set the ability to fail and learn from those mistakes. And in six months, in three months, they are now an expert on that area than to spend money hiring somebody that is going to come into the team as an SME. But fundamentally, that's, that's all they do. That's all they know. Whilst people in the team feel that, 
I've not really had a chance to grow in my profession. Yeah. I've not really had a chance to learn new skills. So this is where I think you need to be strategic about how you allow failure to actually power the motivation engine that people have when it comes to learning a new skill and inventing and feeling in a safe space where they can voice their concerns and ultimately feel they're not, the, the, that they are not going to be judged um, for failing. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned our learning new skill. So um, learning and development and opportunities for learning and development within teams is critical, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily just by saying, oh, Adrian, you can sit this GCP uh, exam. Or is it, there's, there's more than just exams, isn't there? There's, you yeah. know, you can, you, you can go to and do different things, but also learning on the job or giving people the opportunity to push themselves with more difficult, mm -hmm. sort of difficult projects, difficult tasks. Yeah, absolutely. Again, when, when it comes to, um, when it comes to certain positions uh, within a team, you want to make sure that those individuals are not boxed in into my only way to grow within the company or personally grow within my career is to manage people. Yeah. You don't want to do that. You want to give people that are technical, that are very, very good at the operational, the ability to continue to grow as part of that trajectory without forcing them the management route. Again, I want to make sure that those in leadership have the right mindset um, whilst you allow and identify, and this is one of the things that transformational leaders do, is they're always on the lookout for people that have the right heart. Yeah. They're always on the lookout for people that have the right mindset in terms of, I want to take care of others. Those are the right people to then, to then promote and, and, and allow them to follow the, the manager route. But it's important to have those two, those two, uh, avenues in order to make sure that you don't box people in. Perfect. Thank you. I know you're very, very busy, so I will I will wrap it up soon, but there's a couple of things that I wanted to, to ask you about towards the end. Feedback, something that I, I struggle with personally, uh, I, I need to work on definitely. Yeah. Is, as a leader, obviously, for, for, for learning and development purposes, for, for leaders, but mm. also for, for members of the team, it's important to gather that, gather that yeah. feedback. You ask for feedback, it, it, it definitely comes. And uh, how do you how do you ask for that feedback? How do you how do you deliver feedback? Do you have processes in place yeah. to to enable that feedback loop? Again, these accountability sessions as part of the 4DX discipline, right. they allow for accountability to be the way that feedback is provided. And a book that is particularly famous, the One Minute Manager, you would give a one minute praise and you would give a one minute redirect. Both those things are equally important because they allow not only for you to celebrate your successes, but also to have a conversation with somebody that's, that is not performing at the level that you need to fundamentally identify the root cause of that underperformance. And then your job is to provide the relevant and timely feedback so that that person knows that they're underperforming. You have a conversation about the root cause and ultimately you offer the relevant support to help that person navigate to their normal level of performance. And nine, nine, ten, nine, nine out of ten, there's going to be something that you can do about it. Either uh, uh, something that you can provide that person with more personal space, or you can provide additional training, or you can provide additional support, or you can look at that person and actually realize is this person in, in the right position? Yeah. And and reassign them. What you don't want to do is again go back to that. Uh, mentality of this person is not performing so my job is to fire yeah yeah which is the cop-out for anyone that generally is not a leader 
If all you do is hire and fire, you're not a leader. You might have the authority, but you're not a leader. Perfect. Thank you very much. Leader, because leader, they will develop other leaders and they will make sure that they develop other people to win. Um, so it's it's important that a leader has that mindset. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And finally, what quality do you think is the most important quality for a leader of building or leading high-performing teams? I think the ability to listen. I think, actually, the ability to listen and the ability to provide a clear vision. I think those two are absolutely fundamental. If you do those two things at least, chances are your teams are going to be performing much better if you didn't. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm going to sneak one more in. Yeah? Yeah. What's the most valuable lesson that you've learned as a, as a leader over the years? How not to lead. Wow. How not to lead. I think ultimately, I've seen a lot of people in authority um, treat people as if they were um, mere pawns on their chess game. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. self-serving leaders are the worst kind of leaders, ultimately, that I've seen hurt organizations so so dearly and 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 it pains me to to see that because ultimately organizations are losing billions because of poor leadership if you just look at the amount of hiring and the and the fees associated with hiring a new person yeah they're through the roof yeah and the and the and the, and the guilt of that it all comes down to the fact that somebody with poor leadership skills couldn't grab a, a raw diamond and turn it into something that is extremely valuable uh, because they just don't have the time or the patience to do so. They'd rather just fire and hire somebody else. Yeah, it's so, almost it's too difficult for them, isn't it? Yeah. It, well, it might be, hence yeah. why they're not really genuinely leaders. Yeah, that's perfect. Edson, thank you so much for your time. Really thank appreciate you. that. That was brilliant. Thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll have to do it again soon sometime. Thank you for the invite. Take care. Pleasure. Cheers. Take care. Bye bye.